Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we like to start by asking what are you thinking? And this week we have the great honour of chatting to Nat Scroggy and to our very own Liz Bode. Nat and Liz chat about their experiences with baby loss as well as pregnancy and birth after loss. We realise that these are really difficult topics. Liz and Nat were very happy to share their experiences with us but we understand that these can be really difficult to listen to for some people. And we just wanted to warn you of that before we got into our conversation today. We are really, really pleased to announce that since recording this episode, uh, Nat has given birth to her beautiful little baby girl, uh, Fia, and we really wanted to congratulate them both. Just to introduce myself, my name is Scott. I'm one of the founders of VTX and I'm a specialist in small animal internal medicine and as always I'm joined by my best friend in the world and our podcast producer the lovely Karen. Nat thanks so much for joining us on the podcast um as we were kind of joking about before recording um you're um uh, in the later stages of your pregnancy so we're very happy to catch you before all of that excitement uh, happens. I think I wanted to start uh, there's actually um, usually when I do the podcast, I spend very little time thinking about it beforehand and not really, um, you know, trying to just, uh, questions just kind of come off the cuff. But I must admit, I did a bit of research about you today. I don't know, is that freaky or not? But I had to, um, I wanted to kind of, because I, I wanted to kind of understand all the very amazing different things that you've kind of done. And so I hope we can kind of cover a lot of those things. Um, but I suppose that the most sensible place to start is maybe just by you telling the listeners who you are and kind of um, where this all kind of started and where you're at now in this amazing kind of veterinary journey that you've had. Yeah, I can give it a go. It's certainly, um, <laughs> I think you, yeah, you summed it up quite well in terms of it's all a little bit, it's a little bit random to see how it all comes together. Um, I don't think I said random. I don't think I said random. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, graduated in 2016 from Nottingham Vet School um, and sort of, relatively straightforward kind of first 18 months two years in practice um, so I went out into small animal practice and I got pregnant in sometime in 2018 and sadly suffered a miscarriage um sort of in the first 12 weeks of that um, and that's where things kind of changed a little bit for me so I I had been training for the London Marathon so it sort of very much tied up in that and um when I found out I was pregnant I was I was very fit um so I decided that I wanted to continue being active during that pregnancy but obviously you know massive reduction in time and expectations and and everything like that so in, in a safe way I kind of envisaged what that pregnancy might look like and I had the idea of starting a blog um about being an active person during pregnancy it's not something I'd ever done before and um, when I lost the pregnancy that was a kind of obviously a small thing amongst other things but it was something that um it was another thing that wasn't going to happen so I decided to write a blog instead about how exercise helped me during my recovery from that um, and that's how my blog this vet run started um, and I really really struggled after my miscarriage it hit me very very hard much harder than I could have ever predicted um and I struggled a lot at work um and exercise and sort of running I started to train from completely from scratch from walking upwards for another marathon it was something that really helped me so I started this vet runs completely anonymously which I think probably 
surprises people now and <laughs> pop up all over the place but um it had no photos it didn't have my name there was nothing identifiable on it and it was it was very very private but i started to have a lot of really interesting conversations um and really interesting people get in touch and one day i had a phone call from rue who's part of the wellvet team and they'd come across my blog and and liked it and she rang me and said oh we don't really know we don't know who you are <laughs> we know that you're a vet <laughs> we like what you're doing and um, we don't know your name we don't know what you look like but we'd love you to come and and speak at, at wellvet and, and lead the running oh, wow. so i said that i needed to think about it because it was a real turning point for me i remember ringing my mum and saying oh, i don't really know what to do about this because this could be you know it feels really important it could be you know really amazing but once my name is, you know, you know what the internet's like, once my name is attached to this vet run, so that's it. And I can't take that back. Um, and I have a very, very distinctive name. It's not one people forget. <laughs> no, it, it, actually, so, that is that is so true. <laughs> like it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's very easy to Google me because there is not another one there, of me. Really. I don't think, no, the, you were the first one that came up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there is another one, actually, but um, okay. not doing similar stuff. So, okay. yeah, that was a, a big thing. But I went to... Um, I went to Velvet. Um, it was the first ever Velvet, and it was completely unlike sort of anything else, really. Um, and I didn't actually realise that I was meant to do a talk. I saw it on the schedule the day before, so I hadn't really prepared anything. So it was a bit of a shock. Um, so I led the running, but I got up and um, I'd had such an amazing time. I sort of I spoke very openly about my story, which was the first time that I had, and mm-hmm. it was met with so much support from kind of everyone in the profession and that's where kind of everything started from there really and you're and the, and uh, joking aside I mean you you do pop up everywhere I mean so <laughs> I, I mean and that's not like in a not in a bad way like in it because obviously <laughs> you've gone from that kind of anonymity to having this really lovely web and, and your your website's lovely but it's now got a big photo of you on it you know so mm, um yeah. which is nice you know but also you did some writing for the Vet Times and you so that, you know, you're popping up there. And yeah, you've gone from being this faceless blog to this actually, yeah. you know. But it's nice because I think people definitely relate to your story even more because there's a face there and a real person. And I think that probably really is quite impactful. We're joined as well this week by our lovely um, Liz um our very own Liz um and actually um because you guys have some shared experience with um I want to say the right thing so you said you spoke about kind of pregnancy loss is that the right kind of thing that I'm saying am I I saying that in the right way or did what did you probably the biggest baby loss is probably a term that covers a loss at at any stage and so and so you've both had that that kind of shared experience and I think that that probably is is one of the things that is is important when it comes to these conversations because I remember so I can I can only talk from my own experience of being Liz's friend and having conversations with her around this time when she was going through this horrific ordeal and I think it's really hard actually and I don't know if this is your experience to both of you it's hard as someone who is a friend or a family member to know the right thing to say all you want to do is to say the right thing to that person and 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 make them feel in some way better but it's I think it's hard to know the words to choose because it's such a difficult thing I don't know 
if you experience that with 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 your kind of friends and family and, and that kind of struggle to to relate or to to have that conversation yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head I think a lot of people massively worry about saying the wrong thing and as a consequence I think it's um it means often people don't say anything because they're so worried about saying the wrong thing or saying something that's upsetting or even saying something lovely that that makes you upset and you're not in the right place and I think that that does perpetuate the fact that it's something that we don't talk about and sometimes that comes from that really does come from the heart and because people don't want to say the wrong thing you know I know people have had a lot of negative experience with people um, it is possible to say the wrong thing but yeah I think I was I was well supported initially um I think the thing that I didn't expect was quite how long this was something that was really going to affect me and how much it was going to affect me in my relationships in the workplace um and stuff like that I mean it really it's you know I think it still affects me I was surprised when I did um get pregnant that those feelings didn't actually it took quite a long time for any of those feelings to to go away and and that's something I think that's something that I, re- I I saw that actually as well when I was kind of reading some of the stuff you'd written. I think that's really we'll come back to that kind of this workplace situation as well because I think that's mm-hmm. a really and really relevant for the profession too. Liz, I don't I, I know you particularly struggle kind of ha- talking about having these conversations about having conversations and I know you struggle particularly with kind of social media and and, and maybe seeing other people having a positive time with pregnancy and actually you were having this very negative time and that was quite a hard thing for you to kind of deal with yeah I think I mean that was probably one of the hardest things so I completely withdrew from Instagram Facebook because everywhere you look everybody was always seemed to be getting pregnant or having babies and at a time when you're feeling it was probably one of the lowest to times of my life I think actually from having I had two miscarriages in very quick succession so they were just a couple of months apart um initially and just dealing with that and at the same time having quite close friends that were pregnant who were maybe just a couple of weeks ahead of where I was you know that was all very difficult to deal with and so I think I initially went through a phase of being obsessed googling you know like miscarriage and baby loss and then reading all of these stories on Instagram with people who'd had similar experiences to then just deciding that actually I was better coming off it altogether and that was a really positive decision I think in my recovery as well as the fact that I had because I'd had recurrent miscarriage then I was referred to our local recurrent miscarriage centre in Manchester who were absolutely amazing um, and I had almost a year's worth of counselling through that service. And so that was that was a really beneficial thing. But yeah, I think, you know, if something what a friend of mine said who who's actually had suffered an ectopic pregnancy and then had struggled to conceive for a few years. And something that she'd said, which stuck with me, was that even though you might feel jealous or have whatever feeling you have, towards a person that's pregnant you don't actually know the story behind their pregnancy and so I always try to keep that in the back of my mind when I was thinking you know if I was however I was feeling about seeing pregnant people on social media or out and about or or whatever um but yeah it's it's, it is difficult it's a difficult thing to deal with as far as speaking to people and and trying to have 
you know conversations about this at the time who who did you find the most comfort in who were the people that you were able to speak to in in that in those kind of darkest moments other than Sean my husband um I think my friends really that had gone through either similar experiences some some much worse than what I'd been through um Mm -hmm. so mostly them I mean I mean I remember speaking to you on numerous occasions about it I remember after I also had a chemical pregnancy later on the same year I remember speaking to you on the way home in floods of Mm. tears about that um Mm. so yeah I think you know I'm quite an open person so I find I personally find quite a lot of support in speaking to people I think I also found you know initially it was sort of my you know my close friends and family but I think the thing that I found quite difficult is that those feelings didn't really go you know they didn't go away they but they were sort of the same feelings I have a very supportive partner but when he asked me kind of you know what was wrong what I was feeling I was like there's no point talking I, I feel the same um and I found it quite difficult sort of it just felt like there wasn't much point but I realized I by opening up about it and talking to people I found that actually I was surrounded by I mean absolutely surrounded by people that had gone through similar experiences um and those were the people that I found really understood it um and I also struggled similarly to Liz um, and I would say it's almost one of the hardest parts of it was feelings um, that I felt really guilty about, sort of feelings of of jealousy or of um, feeling like not, not happy for things going well for other people, which is a really awful thing to feel. And then you feel all sorts of terrible things about yourself as a consequence. And so I realised that if you want to find those people that, that understand and that are going to be those supporters, you have to tell someone that you're one of those people and if if neither of us had ever opened up about it then we wouldn't have actually we wouldn't have found that support yeah and and that I suppose you that whole idea of just creating I get this really strong impression that you are trying to drive this open conversation about all of this kind of stuff correct me if I'm wrong and so talking about and I don't want to get any of this wrong um your vet minds initiative I, again, I'd love you just to tell us a bit more about that. But my impression of that is that you are trying to start that conversation and give people that kind of safe space to talk about this, their experiences. I, I don't know. I think it was maybe it was probably a good six months after um, my loss. And I'd I spoke about it on welfare. This veteran's was becoming a little bit less anonymous, but only very organically. Um and I decided to share my story on um, one of the Vestanu Facebook groups. I think it was Vets Go Diversify, not with the intention of setting anything up, but just to say, actually, I've been astounded by how many people have got in touch. There's so many people that have had similar stories and, and, and this is mine. And the response was absolutely enormous. And the idea for Vet Minds as a sort of to set up a, a space, a support group for vets, um, all, all veterinary professionals facing these sorts of issues. It happened just in the comments of that, really. So it was really organic. All these sort of great conversations started, a lot of love and support, and it was it was really wonderful. And people said, "Thought be real shame just to leave this here in this thread. Why don't why don't we start something?" And it it wasn't really any one person's 
idea but myself and a, a colleague decided to write yep we're gonna we're gonna do that so we went away we were quite cautious we spent several weeks taking some advice working out exactly how to do it you know when you start something this, you have to bear in mind that you're going to get people in vulnerable states and sort of that you're going to need to signpost to them and and how careful we have to be as well to offer support but not you know not medical professionals and just working through some of those issues so we took quite a lot of of time in that but um we set up vet minds which stands for miscarriage infertility neonatal death and stillbirth um and it started originally just as a, a closed facebook group for any profession uh, any professional facing any of those issues just to to come and seek support um either anonymously or or not that's how it started but very much through my own experience to Liz is ultimately the people that I felt really got it were people that had similar experiences and there's some unique things to facing these in the vet world as well and so sort of finding finding people that have had those similar experiences and face maybe some of the challenges that you have um in your workplace um I think has been really valuable this is a this is a thing that I genuinely had never thought of for either of you like I so my experience of this is being Liz's friend and it's not that I'm a vet and she's a vet, although that's the reason we know each other, but that's, we don't work together. So we're not having a workplace relationship at this point. I'm really interested to understand what the workplace issues are from your perspective. And is there, what is the profession needing to do? Um, I think there's a lot of things that make it, it's not unique, but that make it um, a bit difficult. So for a start, you often have to tell your colleagues that you're pregnant a lot, a lot earlier than you might in another mm-hmm. environment and for some people I think that's a good thing because their colleagues know something's happened um, and for others that makes it quite difficult um, it's very personal how you how you approach that and whether you want your team to know um, about a loss or not so there's things around that we find in the Minds group that there's a lot of anxiety around some of the potentially more dangerous aspects of our job and things like anaesthetic gas and stuff like that and when people have a loss often people attach it to something that maybe went wrong and we do work in a more dangerous environment than than many people do for kind of particularly early pregnancy and stuff like that but so there are some very vet related things but I think for me it was more I don't think I realised quite how much um, emotion you take on as vet you're constantly delivering bad news you're taking on other people's grief um you know, I found euthanasia is really really difficult I think I found them difficult because I felt like I didn't have any spare emotional capacity but I know also other people sometimes struggle with on the empathy side because they feel like they've been through something so huge um it can be challenging um and then there's also there's things I hadn't even thought about like you may actually do a lot of pregnancy related work and particularly I'm a small animal vet and I don't do a huge amount of breeding but you might have to there was a post in the group where one woman um the first thing she had to do when she went back into it was a cesarean which was really really difficult um or you might get a pregnant cat spay or or something like that but Mm. there are also vets in the group where they fertility work is a huge part of what they do whether that's an equine or or farming and so I don't know it can it can really throw up some things that you're just not expecting yeah. and that's kind of you know we're hoping to produce some workplace guidelines it's been a bit 
there's a 2020 goal that's become a 2021 goal which as all 2020 goals have become so I think I wouldn't feel bad about that I think we've all had to push our goals but I think that but 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 even that sort of thing I think as a person who obviously has not suffered from pregnancy loss I am able to say that actually friends and, and families and colleagues I think they would want that like I think people are like well give me the tools to support people better that are going, you know, I think people, because people want to do the right thing. Ultimately, we we do work in a good profession. There are lots of kind people out there. It's not like people are wanting to make people feel shit or whatever, but I think giving people a bit of guidance, like you're, you're obviously trying to do, I think that is extremely valuable and will be really kind of well received. But even as we've said with so many things on the podcast, it's just about having, it's just about talking about it because we're just so bad at talking about so many things. You know, actually we, we talked um, with Anna Bieber. Actually, you, your name was mentioned. I was about to say you have appeared on the podcast before because she mentioned your name. Yes. <laughs> you know, she's doing something very different with Vet Your Breast, but it's just about like getting that poster out there and getting that image and getting that conversation mm-hmm. started. And that's kind of the the first important step in all of this because... It's just that we just kept it in secret before and, and didn't talk about so many of these things. As far as well, the other thing that I think, and I, I, do, I don't know how, how it's maybe a difficult thing to maybe d- talk about or describe. You said something really interesting then, and I think I've had sort of similar conversations with Liz, where you've suffered this horrendous, horrendous loss. And when people ask you how you feel, you're like, well, I just feel the same terrible way I did five minutes ago. Thanks very much. Don't ask me again because I just feel crap. But how, so Liz, reflecting back on that time now, for instance, it obviously is something that still stays with you. I mean, is that, is it something that affects the way that you are now or parent now or experience things now or think about things now? You know, it obviously still stays with you in some capacity. Yeah, I don't think you ever forget anything, any loss like that. Um, I mean, it's definitely something that stayed with me throughout my pregnancy. I'm sure it probably stays with Nat throughout hers as well. Um, Makes it potentially a more difficult time, although I think even if it's your first pregnancy, it can still be a stressful, you know, it's still a stressful period of of time. And I still think it now that Ted's here, you know, I, you know, actually I was only thinking about it today, driving um, home, you know, that obviously if I'd had that first pregnancy, then Ted wouldn't be here. So it's all, it's, it's just a very mixed bag of emotions, but I'll still, I mean, I still get, I still get upset about, about the losses um, now. And unfortunately the first one, once happened around Christmas so that was even this year you know still thinking about it um and still getting sad and you know and my my husband is also I think the men can get forgotten as well or the partners can get forgotten um in terms of pregnancy loss and it can significantly affect affect them too and the similar thing for them in the workplace isn't it that it's difficult for the for the woman who's lost the the baby in a physical and emotional capacity, um, but for the partners that have lost mm. those babies as well, they probably suffer similar 
issues going back into the workplace but um, again potentially have no support or maybe even less support than the female might might have so yeah I think there's a whole different a whole range of emotions I think that still go through me mm-hmm. if I if I think about it you know Christmas is a funny old thing because I I always am very critical of my clients who I'm sure now you've experienced this too where people say oh but we'll just we'll get them through this next Christmas and you know when we're talking about pets and I always used to be super critical of that and then until my own dog was super ill at Christmas and all we wanted was for him to survive Christmas I was like well why does this mean so much but I so what I'm trying to say is I remember Liz specifically that Christmas period for you did have an even more significant effect Uh, and and I suppose because well again I'm not putting words in your mouth but Christmas is a very family orientated time it's very special you know I remember the first Christmas we have with our children and it means a huge amount so I think as silly as it may be if you really get down to the rationale of it all but actually it's these things are not insignificant no and I think particularly that Christmas is that I just wanted I wanted it to be normal for everybody else. So I really like tried to bury what was happening and a close family member was also pregnant at the time. And I remember being like, I have to go, I have to go and see her straight away because I don't want her to feel awkward about the fact that we've lost a baby and she is carrying on with her pregnancy. I think it's probably a mark of, of vets as well as that we, I think quite often we feel like we should just, pull our socks up and get on with it there we spend so much of our time putting on this brave face you know we talked you literally and we were talking last uh, you know Karen when we were talking to Judy about you euthanize a dog in one room and literally there's a 10 second gap and you walk into the next room and you're vaccinating a puppy I mean who does who does that mad stuff like that's mad like to go from like this ultimate grief to then be like oh no here we are and then you're performing again in this other kind of in this other way Nat, you, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about how then maybe your pregnancy has been changed now by your kind of previous laws. And and obviously you've continued to kind of document your journey in this amazing way. Has that become a kind of important part for you as far as coping as well as kind of sharing your, your story? I think for me, so I'm not a natural scientist. Um, I was always into well, writing was always my thing um I went to art school oh did you yeah so I so Nottingham vet school have a preliminary year um it's quite a small so it was 15 of us um for people that have excelled in another area um that they think would make good vets but haven't got the skills um, so I haven't got the skills <laughs> that's not right I haven't got the uh, a-level response <laughs> <What? laughs> where did you get your vet degree from again <laughs> Painting is very helpful. <laughs> um, yeah, so I snuck into Nottingham like that. That's um, cool. What did you do at art school? Uh, well, I dropped out because I got into vet school. Oh, right. <laughs> that was your first mistake. <laughs> it's funny, my dad actually sent me a WhatsApp the other day. He was going through some stuff and he found a certificate from primary school or secondary school for my highly commended for my writing skills and sort of sent it to me um and it was quite nice because actually that's that's always been who I am so um yes I think for me like writing is very cathartic and there is an element of 
for some people it's okay to write it and not share it at all but I think I find it more useful so writing was certainly a big way of dealing with the loss and with various ups and downs in my veterinary career and I've chosen to be open about that um, and that has like definitely been a massive part of my journey pregnancy after loss is a really interesting subject and it's not something that gets talked about a lot at all because you don't really fit into any tribe um, and it's a really difficult thing to talk about because when you've had a loss your pregnancy is very altered you can be very anxious it, it, it's just it's not like that for everyone but sometimes there is a kind of a blissful naivety to a first pregnancy when you've got pregnant it's all happened very straightforwardly and it's all really exciting and and you kind of talk as if this baby's you know, I, I find it strange people you know they'll, they'll talk as if this baby's going to appear at the end of it and I find that quite strange that they're making that assumption actually that's it's not a big assumption because for many many pregnancies that is what happens um but when you get pregnant and a lot of people bond with other pregnant people if they've not been through a loss then you can't really talk to them about or I felt like I couldn't talk to them about the anxieties and emotions I was having because no pregnant lady wants to hear about all the stuff that's gone wrong for you and you don't want to make them anxious or worried so you bury that and you you carry on but obviously having you know both Liz and I have had the experience of just how difficult it is when you've experienced loss or infertility um having people around you that are pregnant so the last thing that you can do is then sort of moans the wrong word but you know you, it's very very difficult to turn to that tribe of people they're actually finding it really difficult being pregnant because um you know just how lucky you are and so suddenly although we're getting so much better at talking about it there isn't really anyone to talk about that with and so as you said I have written a lot and I've documented things but um the one thing I have written very very little about is actually I, I've hardly I wrote mm. Covid diaries for vet times but I've um I've hardly written at all and I've kind of disappeared from social media during my pregnancy because I just didn't really know what to write and I was very very conscious of just how difficult I'd found seeing pregnant people on social media so I didn't want to upset anyone I didn't want to and I you know I have a lot of people that follow me have had similar experiences so I was just thought gosh you know I don't want to make anyone upset uh, so um it's not a pregnancy I found very easy for various reasons but I didn't want to labor that point because because I know how lucky I am it's been quite difficult um, and I haven't really known exactly where I fit in and um, with all the work that I have done with vet minds and stuff I still find it I don't know you can only wear so many hats can't you and I sort of I wear a hat that is being mm. open about losses and and I worry about setting people and I, well I think you I think you I think you wear the hat very well um, and I don't I, I there's so many things there that I want to I think it's it's really interesting that you and Liz have really had that very similar kind of attitude, I think, towards social media and that kind of, you know, that understanding of, of what you went through and then not, I don't know, it's really hard because you also should both celebrate preg your pregnancy because it's still a wonderful thing, regardless of, you know, of anything else, it's still an amazing thing. I, I, I'm really interested by this kind of concept of tribes and I, I don't, the thing is, if we all drilled down to the nuances of our experiences there would be so many tribes we couldn't keep up and I think this is the thing we try and we try and put ourselves into kind of categories don't we so for instance and this is again never a criticism but 
we've got vet mums on Facebook, right? So that's a big tribe, you know, and it's a very broad tribe mm -hmm. because it's vet mums. That keeps it quite simple. But I'm allowed to be a member of vet mums. Now, I'm not a mum. I was about to say technically, but I'm definitely, I'm not. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even pretend to be. But in our family, there isn't a mum, you know, so I'm allowed to be in vet mums because actually there's two men and should I be in vet mums? Maybe I shouldn't, I don't know. I, that's a bit of an imposter thing. But but I think, yeah. so if you were then, I suppose what I mean, if you were to subcategorize every vet mum into all their different subcategories of being vet mums, actually you would end up with so many different groups. And so it's hard, isn't it, to pigeonhole people into vet mums or vet dads or vet whatever because actually there's just so many nuances of experience but I think as a profession generally if we just get better at being accepting of that and being able to just talk about our different experiences openly and not having any sort of judgmental narrative which I think sometimes there can be with social media you know people can be very opinionated behind the keyboard as we know um then i think that's probably the the most valuable thing of all really I, I hate to talk about the other complexities of of being pregnant just now but do you worry about your coronavirus sort of pregnancy experience is that something that kind of i know liz you've kind of had a obviously a very altered time post birth because you've not maybe had the kind of social you know interaction that maybe you would have liked to have yeah so it's not definitely not the mat leave that I ever anticipated <laughs> I met a friend today for I don't know how many walks I've been on <laughs> since it started but yeah. a lot um I'm definitely probably fitter now than I think I have been for a long time yeah coronavirus has, has altered everybody's lives hasn't it but I suppose in terms of and I, when I was first pregnant with Ted, we had a relatively normal run-up. So Sean came to all the scans and our 20-week scan. And then I had more scans later on, which then he wasn't allowed to come to because that's when coronavirus had, had hit. And then I, I took voluntary furlough because I was in my third trimester. Um, and I, I was going into work because, again, I was like, oh, it'd be fine. I'm just, I need to just get on with it. Um, but then actually one of the consultants said you really shouldn't because they didn't know anything about it at that stage this was last April you know you really shouldn't be in third trimester public facing doing all of that stuff and work were, were great and I took furlough and then started maternity leave early yeah it's certainly been a it's been a strange time to be pregnant it's a bit I mean they say I have so many friends that haven't I haven't seen at all and so they will never have ever seen me pregnant. Most people have never seen me pregnant. Isn't that weird? And so it'll just pop out, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, did you listen to, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you got the memo, but they do just literally, they just pop out. Pop out. It's yeah. actually, yeah. Liz will tell you that her, her body has not um, changed at all. <laughs> I think there is, um, oh. there's an element of the pandemic where, I actually feel there's a many, many, many things that have made it much harder and um, anxiety was was high. Um, but there was an element for me of, I think by the time I was, so I guess we were sort of June, July, um, when I found out I was pregnant and I'd had quite a long 
gap between my miscarriage and falling pregnant which was probably a good thing for me mentally um but by that point of the pandemic there was a little bit i think i'd um we all have had to learn to accept that we're quite powerless things change um we don't really know what's around the corner and we've just got to accept it and i feel like it sort of taught me to maybe deal with that a little bit better than i normally do because like a lot of us i'm probably a bit of a control freak and i like to to plan and think i know how things are going to happen and there's a i think i approached it i don't know i think it left me with some skills to actually maybe deal with that a little bit better um I mean, I was petrified of even, what I was really petrified of was having a loss and um, the care being altered. It was very important. It's a very individual thing, but for me, it's important to have it surgically managed. I didn't want to go through it all at home. And I think um, had I lost this pregnancy, that wasn't an option at the time. And I think I would have found that extremely traumatic. Um, scans i was very lucky we kept um they changed the rules like a week before my 12-week scan so tom has been to the two scans two nhs scans that i've had but we made the decision to have a private scan before each one just in case they changed the rules um and that was a really good decision for us to just meant that we could do that together and have you continued to work throughout your pregnancy have you still been vet vet working or have you been kind of working on you know your writing and different things at home instead um so i worked i was really lucky i'm a locum um and i normally uh i work with kind of a, a set of practices so i don't go all over the place but i tend to do quite short spells but between lots of places that i know um but i did my sort of the only like long term since i've done in a really really lovely practice it was very delayed um, I was meant to start and then the pandemic hit so I didn't have any work for a little while um, but I was really lucky to spend six months in that practice it's a really lovely practice um, probably the happiest I've ever been at a vet they're a lovely team and I um, so I spent my pregnancy with with them um, and I finished I took so my pregnancy has been a little bit different so I, I stopped work um, before Christmas kind of once I was in the third trimester with the COVID stuff but I've also had really bad pelvic pain and my mobility has been very very poor so it was just getting to a point I really couldn't do my job at all (laughs) um and I couldn't I I couldn't bring in a cat basket I couldn't um I couldn't bend down um yeah I, I couldn't do it and I think you know as an employee it's I would have maybe been able to do things because they can find things for you to do but as a locum you really need to be able to fulfill your job um so i stopped work but um i found it significantly more difficult because now i'm just at home <laughs> um and i feel so lucky during that six months of the pandemic to have been able to go into work with a team that i really enjoyed and to share so those are the people i share my pregnancy with I've only seen my parents like four times but it was there I got that was the little piece of normality that I got where they'd be like oh god you're never gonna fit in your scrubs because obviously I wasn't in my locum room too tight to pay for maternity scrubs so I just squeezed myself in and by the end Tom would have to peel me out at the end of the day should we do I'll send you some money for scrubs I mean I'll, I'm, I'm okay too for, like I'll I'll just take the hit for that I think that's I love that 
I'm not paying for these. I'm not paying for these. I'm just going to look like I'm painted on. <laughs> Amazing. By the last week, I could hardly move. That's kind of heartwarming, isn't it? I suppose where that's where your kind of veterinary community comes together in that really positive way. So obviously you're, well, I mean, I presume your main focus in life now is is um, popping it out at first and then um, all the bits that come after that. Um, so that's obviously going to take up some time. What's your kind of, what's your vision for the future as far as your kind of international stardom? <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> I've never had a plan, Scott. So if you can tell me... <laughs> Where my uh, my veterinary interests, my interest in well-being, exercise, and baby loss, all and writing, all sort of ties into a position. And if you'd like to offer me one, then okay. <laughs> then um, that would be great. But I I'm not sure what what the future holds. But I I am quite comfortable with that. You know, we're very lucky that we can dip into. I, I love clinical work, and I think for me the, the key is variety. So I've got clinical work and then I just keep sort of saying yes to stuff and seeing where it takes me meeting. I love meeting people. I love the veterinary profession. I love meeting interesting colleagues and, and just seeing where it takes me, really. We'll look forward to seeing that journey develop. Um, <laughs> Liz, I wanted to ask you something. I don't. This is a conversation that really stuck with me and it'd be interesting to hear kind of what Nat's opinion of this is. And I think that may be the conversation when... That, that you actually referenced earlier on I you got to a stage where actually our conversation was more of along the lines of well I need to think about the reality of me never getting pregnant right so that was kind of the thing that you'd and I know that you there was a number of kind of resources that that kind of helped you with that and I, I suppose that was the, the the point where I felt that you know maybe I could contribute something because I said well look I'm testament to the fact that you can build a family in lots of different ways that and I, there's no consolation there I can't be taking away you know but what I was trying to say was and maybe that not that was one of the moments I was like am I saying the right thing but I kind of said look we've managed to build our family in this different way that it's possible for everyone to to create their own path if this pregnancy doesn't work out and obviously we don't have to have that conversation now because Ted is here uh, what was that like getting to that point where you actually were think having to kind of change your mindset and thinking well actually pregnancy might just not be a thing for me the effects of the pregnancy losses stayed with me I think it has changed me generally um and it took I know like I said earlier it was almost a year of counselling up until I was even 25 weeks pregnant until I felt that I didn't necessarily need that support anymore something that really helped me which is maybe a bit random was I found Elizabeth Day's podcasts um, called How to Fail and I don't know whether yeah. Nat's listened to those as well a friend of mine also, and me also went to see her live um, when she was touring um, before that book and I just found it so refreshing that she's so open about her her pretty awful journey actually and experiences of pregnancy and pregnancy loss and how she still I don't think is she's come to terms with I think you come to terms with the, the fact possibly that you might not be able to have a family and that that's journey's different for, for for everybody but throughout her podcast especially in the early seasons she interviewed a lot of women that were very successful but might not have families for a variety of reasons through either choice 
or because surrogacies failed or IVF or miscarriages. And all of these women had these stories and actually had come through the worst of it and had had sort of managed to, to still have lots of positive things in their lives and lots of successful stories and elements in their lives. And I think that just gave me hope that although, you know, I might not be able to have a family, that actually there's still lots of positive things. Like Sean and I had, you know, we used to travel a lot. We had great lives and all of those things Mm -hmm. could still happen. It just might not be the future that you initially planned for yourself. Yeah. And I think also, like, this is a conversation. So, you know, I have a lot of, well, Karen, uh, you know, my friend Warren, we have this conversation a lot where you know, having a family is not the route for everyone either. And it some people make a very conscious mm-hmm. decision not not to have children. And that, and I actually, I, 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 and maybe not the time for this conversation now, but I feel quite strongly that that should be very much okay too. We, you know, societal norm says you have to do this or you have to marry this mm-hmm. or you have to do this. And actually I'm a strong believer that we shouldn't have to do any of that if we don't want to. And if it doesn't work out for you, you shouldn't be viewed differently or you know and so I think we all just have to make our own path and and that's okay and and like I say time and again the way you feel the things you do they're valid because it's the way you mm-hmm. feel it's the things that you're choosing to do and that's okay because that's your choice it's your feeling and that's already valid because you because that's who you are and that's okay and and I think, well, yeah, and I remember having that conversation and feeling better as a friend yeah. that you kind of, you'd come to a better place, but equally now we're in this even better place. And listen, the two of you, let me tell you this. I mean, these babies are going to be cute. The, this Ted is cute. <laughs> Not your baby's going to be cute. Just wait until they're five and six <laughs> and you're having to deal with all the dramas that I'm dealing with on a daily basis and you'll want to push them back in. So uh, <laughs> anyway, we normally ask uh, our podcast guest to give one piece of advice to uh, veterinary professionals usually young veterinary professionals that are listening about kind of um you know advice that they would give from from the sort of point of view of their veterinary career but I wonder on this occasion if I could ask you to if you had to give one piece of advice to someone who was listening that had suffered pregnancy loss or infertility or miscarriage you know all of the things we've been kind of talking about what one piece of advice would you give to them? I would always encourage people to open up to someone or more than one person if they can, because if people don't know that you're struggling, they can't support you. Um, However, it's not the right thing for everyone. Um, So I think sort of, I would really encourage people to, to really think if, if they can do that. Um, because I think it's it's helpful in so many different ways but it it also means that people if people don't know that you're suffering um then there's a lot of people that that love and support all of us and and they they want to help and they want to be there and they might be strangers um they might be on the internet or they might be very very close friends or family or or colleagues that point you made there that actually the people that can help you are not always people that are around they, they can be strangers and we've certainly really found that as far as the kind of support network that we've 
become exposed to through the podcast and through Instagram. And we've always, I've been blown away by the kind of connection you can make with people, people that we've spoken to that I kind of think, you almost think of Karen, it's like we've talked to these people and they've become part of our like friend network. And then you think I've never met them. (laughs) Like who knew, who knew that there was people out there that just, cared and, and we're um, wanting to support each other in this kind of weird virtual podcast coronavirus type way so um I think in many ways I think <laughs> to myself would I would we have had the opportunity to speak to you know amazing people like you if, if we weren't in this pandemic and I don't wish the pandemic on anyone but you know what I mean it's that kind of twisted way of looking at things oh, definitely yeah it's conversations like this that that are so important because it it normalizes it it makes it okay to talk about it and it makes other people realize that even if they have absolutely no experience of it they can they can talk about it too and they can support people and I think that's even more poignant than if if everyone here had had personal experience I just wanted to say a massive thank you again to Nat and to Liz just for being so open uh, and honest today with the conversation and we really hope that their conversation has helped some of you that are are listening in some way. We have popped a little bit more information about Nat and some of the uh, projects that she's working on, as well as some helpful resources um, around the, the topic of baby loss in the show notes. I wanted to say a massive thank you to you all for listening. Your support is massively appreciated. To learn a bit more about VTX and what we do, then please head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com.